Namaste. Uh, today, uh, I'm going to talk about temples, uh, which is a journey. Uh, I've had a personal journey with temples in terms of being uh, from being just a curious traveler to somebody who now specifically travels to explore temples, to understand temples as a devotee, as a seeker. So that journey uh, I have written about in my upcoming book, which should hopefully come by end of next month. Uh, we'll probably come back to you for another talk on that. But today I'm going to talk about um, different types of temples that India has, or that I have seen in India and outside India as well. But before that, I'm going to quickly introduce myself. So I run this travel blog called Indie Tales. Uh, I've been writing it since 2004. And it's in both in Hindi and English, uh, probably one of the largest in both the languages. Uh, very recently, I have started a podcast. It's called Detours with Anuradha Goel. It's available on all podcasting platforms. Um, and it's on YouTube, in details YouTube channel as well. It's again in both Hindi and English. In Hindi, it's called Idhar Udhar. And in English, it's called Detours. Uh, last year, I curated uh, India's first Yatra conference where we tried to revive the Indic travel traditions are um, because we have a very long history of traveling, very long history of um, and a very structured history of uh, traveling to different parts of the country. So we're trying to revise that. Hopefully, as soon as the pandemic allows, we'll have another version of it. Uh, then, as Rahul said, I run uh, one of the biggest book reviews blog. Um, I'm in Limka Book of Records for that. And this is there are some stats which are available. So after the talk, if you are inspired, please feel feel free to just on any of these. This is a book I wrote on business innovation about six years back, um, which uh, was used by a lot of B schools, but that is my past life. Uh, I'm still working on some part of it, but I'll come back to that some other time. So let's start with Temple Tales. So about uh, one and a half, two years back, I was going through the archives of my uh, uh, photo archives, which is lying in many hard disks. And I realized that I have visited a lot of temples and I have not written about all of them. So the big temples get written about the beautiful, the magnificent, the glorious ones get written about. But the smaller ones with little tales associated with them are usually ignored or they're just lying around. Sometimes I have even forgotten the name of the temple. You know, I, I can see that I realize that it's lying in a particular folder. So it must be a temple in that particular destination or the town. Uh, but I have forgotten about it. And obviously, I've forgotten about the uh, about the history, the story of the temple. And I was also honestly struggling to build a following on Instagram, which is a platform which is very well suited to uh, lifestyle, uh, lifestyle influencers, as they say. So I on a uh, on a whim, I said, let's start putting the temple stories out there on Instagram and let's create a database. So let's see how many temples I have. And once I posted about 30, 40 temples, I uh, I started putting it in a format where we put um, the temple name, the location of the temple, about 200 word story of the temple, anything specific about that temple. And then uh, three basic data points, which is uh, who's the presiding deity of the temple, who built the temple, if that information is available, and rough period when it was built. So uh, after I reached about 30, 40 uh, temples, 
I took a personal sankalp to do 108 temples. I was not very sure if I had 108 temple stories, but I did a sankalp. I said, if I don't have, I'll travel to those temples and I'll put those stories. But I was surprised with less than a year, I had uh, completed that sankalp and I had still had so many temple uh, photographs with me waiting to be put. So then I, I decided to continue it. I said, okay, let's do one more round of 108 temples and see where we reach. So after I reached about 150, a uh, lot of people started saying, telling me about other temples that should be there. Uh, very uh, pleasantly surprised that some of the temple priests started sending me photographs and saying from remote villages, you know, and these are all ancient temples with some Puranic story associated with them. They started sending me photographs and saying, ma'am, please put this also up. And uh, including, you know, Auroville, uh, Matri Mandar, they sent me their photographs. Some youngsters started sending photographs. I received photographs from Suriname. I received photographs from Trinidad. Uh, you know, I received photographs from um, Hawaii. Uh, so I just started posting them. So I opened it up for everybody to start sending me photographs with an aim to create a visual database of temples with small stories so that anybody can look at them and get the gist of that temple, the essence of that temple, the basic details. And then of course, as, as in when you visit those places, you can potentially visit those temples or add to that. So this is how I started creating the visual database. Now, what happened after I, uh, after it reached a certain point, we are right now roughly at 166 temples that I have posted, I think. Is that a lot of patterns started emerging. So earlier, I used to have like one temple and one post. So you'll have all the details of this big temple that uh, everybody actually knows about. And even if people don't know, at least scholars have written books and books about. And I would also write about the same temples because they are simply fascinating. Once you stand before them, they simply put you in awe and you, you, you can't help yourself but share that joy with others. Uh, but when I started looking at my Instagram feed, I realized uh, they are a part of a larger universe. These fascinating stone temples are a part of a larger universe of temples. And we are simply ignoring the other temples. So today what I'm going to present is, uh, is a rough categorization or rough classification of temples as they exist today and uh, what I have come across in my travels across the country. And I will tell you little tales of those temples. So I'll start my presentation from here onwards about different types of temples that you can see. So the first temples I'm going to talk about is royal temples. Now, these are the most beautiful temples. These are the temples that have been built by some kings at some point in time. And these temples tell us about our past history. They tell us about our past grandeur. It, they tell us about our technology. They tell us about our techniques. They tell us about our, uh, our ability to fuse different subjects and present a beautiful creation. They tell us about... Uh, the prosperity that we had so and so let's look at some of these temples so the temple on your left is uh, nataraja temple in chidambaram and the one on your right is brihadeshwara in tanjore both of them are beautiful temples typical 
Chola architecture, uh, huge gopurams, large temple tanks, uh, a huge uh, shikara, uh, a, a top of shikara, which is which can be a object of study in itself. The walls full of stories, usually from Puranas, usually from our uh, you know historical tales, but also capturing the common man. They capture the life of the kings that uh, that have built them, uh, sometimes their lineage. Uh, they capture the flora and fauna of the region, everything. They are like open air history museums written uh, or presented before us. But you need to understand the language of that stone to understand that. If you don't know the language, so if you don't know the Ramayana story, you will never be able to figure out what is a what are a bunch of monkeys doing on those walls. But if you know the Ramayana story, then it's the complete Ramayana presented in front of you. And the same goes for all other stories. So these are fascinating big temples. Now, this the temple on your left is Vaikuntha Paramul Temple in Kanchipuram, and on your right is Kailashnatha Temple in Kanchipuram itself. Both of them brilliant example of Pallava, one of the earliest stone temples in India. And the reason I'm showing you this picture is, uh, you see these typical pillars with lion bases. This is a marker of the Pallava architecture. The moment you see these pillars, which have a lion at their base, you can pretty much say with surety that this comes from a Pallava dynasty temple or it has been built by Pallavas. Now, if you look closely, you will see that the third pillar and the fifth pillar here has a different color. It has a different stone. And the, the way the lion has been carved is slightly different from the lion that has been carved on the sandstone colored pillars. Now, the first two are the original pillars, which were built by the Pallavas probably in 7th, 8th century when they originally built the temple. And the later are the pillars which have been restored by Vijayanagara kings much later. So the history tells us is that somebody, some king built the temple. The kingdom passed on to other dynasties, but those dynasties continued to preserve. So when they preserved, they used the material that was available to them then maybe 300 years later, 400, 500 years later. Second, they, the, the design elements changed. So you see the imprint of Vijayanagara empire in these pillars. So in this one picture, you can see the history of the whole temple, which also is the history of the region. Now, if you see behind these pillars, you will see uh, sculpted walls. On this particular temple, one side of the temple walls are full of Vishnu stories. This is a temple dedicated to Vishnu. So one, the whole side is tells you stories of the Vishnu. And on the other side, you have stories of the king. I think Narasimha Varman, or I may be wrong with the name, but one of the Pallava kings, the whole story of his life parallel to the life of Vishnu is, is sculpted. Also, in the 
in the walls there are sculptures of the models of architectural models of the different temple styles so the temple as you see let's say a short temple in mahabalipuram you can see the model of that engraved on the walls different styles of temple walls so it was also an it was also like an architecture book showing you different temple styles then there are um, images of traders you know we, we must remember that we were a huge global enterprise uh, even 2000 years ago so traders were very much part of our social structure people who were visiting us from far away for trade for uh, you know for doing business with us most of the temples you will find some whether it is this temple or whether it is sun temple at konark we find um, markers of those traders and they are very typically so if it's a chinese one it will be shown with a beard if it's a uh, arab one they will be shown with a big topa on their head so uh, very very different markers you can make out they are not the native people and sometimes what is being traded is also there of course there is flora fauna and there are uh, architectural elements i'll move on to the next slide now these are hoysala uh, temples so now the reason i'm showing you this slide is that each dynasty each kingdom and each dynasty has their signature elements now the moment you see this stone latticed windows you can say with 99% surety that this is hoysala architecture the moment you see this finely carved pillars uh, which uh, which you know almost everybody on social media loves to say they did it without the lathe machines you know but i when i look at these pictures i say probably we are yet to in the modern age we are yet to invent the tools which can create masterpieces like this we lost the tools we have some of the masterpieces remaining we lost the tools and we are yet to reach that level of technology where we can invent the um, where we can recreate the tools which we can then recreate masterpieces like this uh, so the point i want to make here is that each dynasty has a time stamp and a space stamp there is a region that a dynasty used to rule and there is a time period in which they used to rule and these they the marker of this time and space can be seen in their architecture very very clearly and thankfully these have been studied very well by uh, the scholars and most of these exquisite temples have been very well documented earlier by the british and then by our indian scholars as well and they have been studied in detail photographed in detail and analyzed in detail so there will be lot of uh, literature on uh, you know on what a chola architecture is what a hoysala architecture is what vijayanagara architecture is what a gupta architecture is what pala architecture is so the, this is a fortunate part this these two pictures are from uh, gujarat the temple on the left is uh, dwarkadhish temple in dwarka Uh, if you see the model of the upcoming uh, shri ram temple in ayodhya you'll see a glimpse you'll see glimpses of this temple it's very very close to the architecture of this temple uh, you know probably the architects come from the same region so you see a glimpse of this uh, now this temple is not really a royal temple uh, but this has been built by all the dynasties that have ruled from this area and i'll come to this again sometime later 
The temple on the right is the temple tank of the Sun Temple at Modhera. Uh, we know that Sun, Sun Temple is no longer a practicing temple, but this is one of the most beautiful temples. Uh, it's sheer geometry and the rhythm and the, and the temple tank itself surrounded by uh, so many small temples. And it is a great example of the Solanki architecture. These are temples from Kerala. And you see, they're also royal temples, but uh, the, the architecture style changes when we move from region to region. The temple on the left is Vamanamurti Temple in Cochin, and the temple on the right is Padmanabha Swami Temple. Um, you are not allowed to take pictures inside, so this is from outside. Now, um, now I told you that a temple is a marker of the time and space in which it was made and by whom it was made. So the temple on the left is a temple called Shivdol uh, in a place called Shiv Sagar, uh, very close to Jorhat in Assam. This was made by Ahom kings and uh, many of us may not know that Ahoms ruled Assam for a very long time, about 600 year, uh, in the, years they ruled. And uh, this Shibasagar used to be their capital. And there are a lot of temples here, which they created, um, which they built. And this is one of those temples. But look at the simplicity of the temple. This is also a royal temple. Uh, and a lot of you may not know that Assam, the word Assam comes from Ahoms. And a lot of Assamese will actually call themselves Ahomias and not Assamese. Uh, so this is also a royal temple. But uh, depending on the time and place, it may be a very simple temple like this one. The temple on the right is Jagannath Puri temple, uh, which has been patronized by almost everybody who's ruled in this region, Kalinga region. Now, the temple on the left is Kandariya Mahadev temple in Khajurao. Uh, this is one of the most rhythmic temples that you can see. And this is one of the best examples of the North Indian temple, Nagar temple style that has preserved, that has managed to preserve, uh, live on by some stroke of faith. Uh, most of the North India has lost temples like this. I'm sure Delhi was full of temples like this at some point in time. If you want to see the glimpses of some of the Delhi temples, you should go to the old uh, um, and the Purana Kila ASI Museum, some of those temple um, parts can be seen there. Now the temple on the left, now the temple on the left, uh, the Kandariya Mahadev temple is about thousand years old, uh, probably just before uh, the initial invasions started in India. And you can see the grandeur of this temple. And this is not a single temple, it's a part of a huge complex with many temples uh, around it. Temple on the right is also a royal temple. It was, it's about 100 years old. It's in Gulmarg. It's in the middle of the city of the Gulmarg. And it was built about 100 years ago by the then queen, um, and it's called Mohineshwari, uh, Mohineshwar Temple, so after the name of the queen. Uh, but you can imagine 100 years back, the, the state of a king of Kashmir would not have been very great. And that's kind of reflected in the state of the temple. This is probably the smallest royal temple you uh, have ever seen. Uh, it's as simple as, um, as a very small village temple with 
zero or no patronage available it's a living temple thankfully people still visit it um, it's 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 kind of open you know you, you you see through that iron gate and you see the shivling and just one small shivling and that's it uh, very small temple so the reason i put them next to each other is that when you look at the temple you can you can in one it's like a dashboard telling you the state of the of the region when the temple was built both of them are by the royal families ruling that place at that point but look at the difference between the two states then uh, they are also a marker of the material available the technologies available the temple on the left is a shyamrai temple in a place called bishnupur in west bengal um west bengal as an area doesn't have stone as the local uh, material available although we know that there are a lot of temples that have stone temples that have been built in regions which have no natural stone available and stone was transported to those places uh, via rivers via carts which had 42 wheels or something like that but they had the they had the ways and means to transport stone when they wanted to transport stone but these temples which are built in bengal uh, during medieval era about 500 years ago uh, by malla kings uh, who were vaishnavas are all built in clay they are they are all terracotta temples but the beauty is that though they change the material and i would call it an innovation to use the material which is locally available they never compromised on the features of the temple you still see the walls profusely carved with stories you see um, all kinds of stories here you see that ships carved on them showing the trade from bengal and we know that bengal has always been with chandraketugarh and satgaon it has always been a huge trading port connecting to whole of uh, whole of asia china uh, southeast asia uh sri lanka it has been trading with these areas so all that is carved on these temples the only difference is that instead of stone they use the clay tablets to embellish the walls of these temples and again this town uh, bishnupur is full of these temples if you spend two days you cannot finish going to all the temples there's so many of them uh temple on the right is uh, hidimba devi temple in manali and this is uh, and uh, this is uh, in a it's again a royal temple built by a a, a king and it is a temple which uh, uses the local architecture which is called katkuni uh, which uses alternate uh, alternate use of stone and wood uh, which is probably conducive to the local conditions and the slanting roofs because this area is uh, gets uh, ample snowfall during the winters and it follows a complete architecture of the hills uh, but it's it still remains a royal temple now royal temples were also the places where our art forms flourished you know these were the places uh, we of course know that there were sculpted walls and the sculptures were there but the paintings also flourished so the temple on um, the painting of nataraja on the left is from brihadeshwara in tanjore the painting on the right is from a very small temple in navalgarh called gopinath ji temple it's on the ceiling this ram darbar which is made 
um, if you see the, the picture in the middle, you will see there is uh, this picture. This picture is Ram Darbar with Shiva coming and praying to Ram. And this is carved on a ceiling. And this is an area where you have these painted havelis uh, where every, every inch of walls is painted. But the most exquisite ones are found in these temples. And they are full of all the Puranic stories. And this is these temples are about 200, 150, 200 years old. And they come from um, these com business communities, these temple towns, uh, not temple towns, these Haveli towns were built by the businessmen who were very prosperous at that point, that point in time. And then, of course, they moved out to places like Calcutta and Bombay and, um, and they made their fortunes. The painting on the left is from a Kerala temple, I think Guru Viyur. And the painting on the right is from a temple in Orcha. Uh, I think Lakshmi temple in Orcha. Uh, so these different styles of paintings can be seen. So if you compare, all of them are different styles of painting, different uh, uh, ways to do painting. But if you see the theme, the theme remains the same. The, the stories remain the same. So temples were also the places where the art architecture kind of uh, uh, flourished. So before I finish this section on royal temples, the royal temples tell us a uh, history. They tell us about the prosperity and grandeur at that point in time at which they were created. They tell us about the technology. They tell us about, uh, they tell us about everything that happened at that point in time. They also tell us that the temples were not just visited for praying, they were also visited, they were also social public places because we see Natya Mandaps, we see uh, huge gathering areas to gather huge, uh, to, to you know, kind of allow people to gather and do things. So they were as much a social organization, social space or a public space as much as they were uh, they were a temple. So I'll move on to the next category. Uh, the next one is our Tirth Thalas. Now these Tirth Thalas are the places which are mentioned in our scriptures. They are spread across the country, right from Kailash Mansarovar to Amarnath to Kanyakumari to Rameshwaram to Ganga Sagar to Dwarka, Somnath, everywhere, they dot the or they define the so-called sacred geography of India. When were they set up? Nobody knows. They have lived through all kinds of times, good, bad, ugly, but they have survived. And these are the places, these are the sacred places that kind of join India into the nation space or the or the sacred space that it is. Let's look at some of them. Uh, on the left, we have Kashi Vishwanath Temple. And I'm really thankful to Manish Khatriji for providing, he's the official photographer of the Kashi Vishwanath Temple. And he shared this image with us. Um, now, Kashi Vishwanath Temple is one of the 12 Jyotirlingas. And we know that the Jyotirlingas are spread across India. The temple on the right is Kamakya Temple in Assam. 
and it is one of the shakti peets and we know that there are uh, 51 or 108 shakti peets depending on which texts you follow and which lists you believe in but there are about 108 shakti peets across the country and if you decide to visit all of them you've literally visited every nook and corner of the country um so let's look at some of the elements that define a Uh, a tirth sthal a tirth sthal is always associated with a water body and the picture on the left is omkareshwar on the banks of narmada in madhya pradesh and picture on the right is jageshwar dham and this is also the nageshwar jyotirling it, it is in the kumaun hills in uttarakhand so um, you see there is a element of a river here uh in kashi there is a river in nasik there is a river uh in rameshwaram there is a sea uh even in the jageshwar dham there is a river there is a bend of river where these temples are uh, located uh, just at the bend of a river so a river or a water body sometimes it's a uh, it's a tank it's a kund it's a, sometimes it's a lake uh, sometimes it's a river and sometimes it's an ocean but the element of water is the most important element in a tirthal and even when they are located next to a a river they will have their own water bodies which are associated with the temple so there in kashi right next to ganga there is manikarnika or in pushkar we have a lake around which the whole city is uh bound and lot of times it is the it is the boundaries defined by the river rivers like in varanasi or in ayodhya we have the boundaries of the uh, of the teeth sala defined by the extent of uh, of a water body mostly a river so my sense is that the temples may have come at a much later stage in these places but the teeth sala is associated with the water and when you read the scriptures they very clearly define the place where the river uh, takes either a turn or merges with another river for example when we talk about ayodhya uh, we know it's on the banks of sarayu river but uh, when you read skand puran ayodhya mahatme you come to know that it is where is ayodhya located sarayu is is a long river but where is ayodhya located on the banks of sarayu it is where the tilodki river meets uh, uh, saryu and where gharghara river meets saryu so these confluences or these sangams of these rivers define the tirthala like at prayag uh, the tirthala is the place where the confluence of the river happens the temples and the whole infrastructure around that place uh, i believe has come out much later and once it has come up it has been preserved by uh, the subsequent generations of the pilgrims as well as the kings who ruled from there so lot of teeth sthalas like in the puri temple i showed you that the puri is a teeth big teeth sthala of jagannath so the temple must have existed a uh, long 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 time back but once there were strong kings there they started building those temples and then the subsequent kings who were um, who believed in the jagannath they kept building it they kept adding to that temple kept building bigger temples but i would never rule out the contribution of the 
common pilgrim. So, for example, when we look at the story of uh, Kashi Vishwanath, we all know that it has been attacked multiple times since since twelfth, thirteenth century, and till uh, till about uh, till the time of Aurangzeb. So, it has been attacked multiple, multiple, multiple times. But um, like Dr. Minakshi Jain says, they have been built as many times. So, it they got contributions from. Uh, the local kings, of course, but also the kings who used to visit, who believed in Kashi and who kept uh, uh, contributing to the rebuilding of the temple or if the temple was already there to, uh, to enhance the temple, to make it bigger. Uh, but at the same time, we don't have records of the pilgrims who would have contributed, maybe small amounts, but put together, they would be a, they'd make a big big amount and even if we don't look at the financial aspect of it it is the pilgrims refusing to give up to give up that teeth sthala or give up worshipping at that teeth sthala that would have kept the teeth sthal alive uh, i i strongly believe that you know uh, uh, the gods also get power from our devotion it's our devotion also that makes the place very, very strong and very, very powerful, our common devotion and our common sadhana. So a uh, lot of these places, uh, we do see some big, huge temples built by the kings, but the place itself is sacred and it usually comes around with the Parikrama path where you circumambulate the whole sacred geography of that area. And the biggest merit, the biggest merit that comes, comes from... Uh, taking a dip. So if you read the scriptures uh, and the Sthal Puranas of different Teeth Sthalas, and these are Teeth Sthalas are the places about which we have Sthal Puranas, about which our scriptures talk about, uh, about their Mahatmyas, about their glories, their greatness, their stories. Each of them has a story associated with them, at least one, if not more. And each of them have uh, a importance, uh, a annual pilgrimage yatra. It's called Sambatsari Yatra. And it's the annual uh, one day in the year when that Teeth Sthala has uh, either a fair, a mela, or a, or a snan or something. For example, in Kurukshetra, where we have Brahmakund, uh, although you can go and take a bath any day, any time there, but the importance of that is on the day of Surya Grahan, on, on the solar eclipse. Similarly, there are places where you should go and take a dip uh, on, a, on a lunar eclipse, on a Chandra Grahan. There are places where you go for Kartik Snan. Kartik Snan is very, very popular, I think, across India. Um, you are supposed to go, uh, if you read Kartik Mas Mahatme, you know that uh, on, on the Kartik Purnima or from Kartik Ekadashi to Kartik Purnima, we should go and take part in our nearest holy, holy river or holy lake. So wherever you are, which is the, whichever is the closest holy river you should do. But if you really want to um, get the benefits of a Kartik Snan, then you have to go to one of these places like Pushkar or, uh, or Prayag or a lot of, even Saryu. Even Saryu has a big, big mela on Kartik Snan. Uh, so, and these places have, have a kind of calendar that keeps you engaged if you follow them. So come, uh, coming back to the slides, on the temple on the left is the Mani Band Shakti Peet, which is there in Pushkar. And the temple on the right um, 
if it was conversational i would ask you uh, what this temple is this temple is called kale ram temple and it's in ayodhya uh, and it is believed to be the original murti which was there at ram janmabhoomi temple um, and it was moved from there to this temple uh, in a long story uh the picture on the left is uh, is chakratirth at namisharanya namisharanya if you've read any puran you would have heard that you know in the forests of namisharanya so at where all the ved purans and all the rishis used to discuss the purans and vedas and where they were written potentially it's called namisharanya and this is the chakratirth at namisharanya and the picture on the right is pushkar i'll quickly move to the next so the next one is community and ancestor temples now the temples that we have seen till now are the temples which are common to everybody teeth sthalas are of course open to anybody and everybody who wants to visit there royal temples i assume would have been open to everybody probably the royal families had the first right but uh, they would have been open to everybody but then we have certain temples which belong to certain communities and certain ancestors and before i get on to this let me tell you a small story i was at one of the art exhibitions where one of the dalit um one of a dalit speaker was telling everybody that how he was never allowed into uh, brahmins never allowed him into the temple and i asked him that uh, i asked him a very simple question and i said uh, do you allow brahmins into your temple and uh, he's probably never been asked that question so he took 2 minutes and then he said but why would they come to our temple so i said maybe they are also thinking the same thing why would you come to their temple and that led me to think that you know today on uh, you know in independent india we think every temple is a public property that should be open to everybody it was probably not so there were some temples which were private or private in a way that they were limited to a community just like our home temples if i have to come to your home temple i must have your permission to visit your home temple similarly if i want to visit your community temple i must have your permission to visit your community temple and these community temples followed uh, a lineage based uh, system of worship they were uh, they were kind they were public places but limited to a community public limited to a community and outsiders were allowed or not allowed based on lot of socio political uh, uh, situations so the temple on the left here is uh, mangeshi temple in goa which uh, belongs to uh, god saraswat brahman community uh today of course everybody can visit it uh, tourism uh, brochures put them on tourism maps but uh, these temples first belong to the gsp community there are many many such temples and every, they all belong to a particular gotra so the people from that gotra have the first right on these temples and they are the only ones who are allowed beyond a point so inside the garbhagriha or beyond a point in the temple they are the only ones allowed but that is because they are community temples they are not really absolutely public temples temple on the right is karni mata temple it's a beautiful example of how sometimes our ancestors our illustrious ancestors become our devis and devatas so karni mata uh, is a real woman who lived uh, 700 800 years ago in uh, in a place called deshnok near uh, bikaner and she uh, did some 
absolutely courageous act which saved the whole community uh, the whole story if you want to read it's there on my blog you can read it but uh, in 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 a nutshell she did something miraculous and when i say miraculous it doesn't mean miracle it means something so courageous which looks almost miraculous and she was she became the kul devi of the charan community so char, for charans she is the ultimate goddess and she is this temple belongs to charans and uh, uh, this is famously known as the rat temple uh, and rats are worshiped there uh, uh, again you are allowed but the it the but the devi in the temple belongs to the charan community the temple on the left is gadi sati temple in junjunu it is one of the biggest and the most beautiful and the best maintained temples i've seen in north india uh it's a huge temple they don't allow you to this is just the facade of the temple that you see from the road they don't allow you any pictures inside and it is dedicated to uh, uh the the satis uh, the the women who committed uh, sati but not in the sense uh, of just walking on a husband's pyre and and emulating themselves but these are women who did some courageous acts of saving the community of ensuring that their lineages continue of ensuring that their children are protected and then uh they were deified and they became the de- the, the deities and today the community especially the gotras to who, who uh, uh, and the people who trace their lineage to these women they go and for them they are the shakti peers they are the they call them dadi sati so it is dadi's uh, grandmother and uh, it could be grandmother several generations ago and they are all real women whose history can be read uh, if you sit with the priest they will tell you the exact history with the exact dates and names and uh, and the acts they did and it's fascinating history of uh, uh, of uh, worshiping our worthy ancestors you know temple on the right is our, our different temples in panchganga river in kolhapur these are the temp- these are memorial temples these are uh, these are temples that have been built by the kings and their uh, descendants um, and they are uh, they 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 are made on the river bed uh, that's a fascinating temple but they belong to that particular family then there are kshetra temples uh, these are regional you could call them regional temples temples that belong to a certain region so temple on the left is a jyotiba temple in maharashtra very close to kolhapur uh, it's uh, it, belo- it belongs to dattatre avatar uh, which is supposed to be uh, 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 an avatar of brahma vishnu and mahesh put together and with very distinct uh, traditions of their own for example gulal is offered in this temple so if you walk to the temple on both sides you will see the shops of gulal Uh, and you'll see the whole campus full of gulal and people actually offer the gulal to the deity and they offer it to each other so very uh, celebratory kind of a place temple on the right is bala tripura sundari temple in a village called uh, kuchipudi in andhra pradesh and now if you see that temple uh, this temple shikhara has a beautiful uh, murti of nataraja now kuchipudi you might have heard this word uh, for dance now this village lends the name to the dance and everybody in this village is engaged in this dance form whether um, they are dancing whether they are playing 
instruments, whether they are making jewelry, whether they are making costumes. And Bala Tripura Sundari, as we know, is the Devi of the performing art. So this, de this Devi, um, although again, anybody can worship her, but she is the presiding deity of a village which is centered around dance and art forms, where everybody is engaged in the art form of Kuchipudi in some way or the other. Temple on the left is a, is a Panch Swayambhut Panchmukhi temple right in the middle of the business district of Mumbai and Javeri Bazaar. Uh, uh, nobody, most people don't know about this temple. When I posted about it, most Mumbaikers said we've never heard about this temple. But this is a temple that kind of belongs to that region. Temple on the, on the right is a Narmada Devi temple, uh, which is a, de which is a deification of the Narmada Devi. Uh, and these temples are also found across most of the holy rivers in India, where you'll have a Ganga Devi temple, a Yamuna Devi temple in Mathura, or uh, uh, you know, Nar Kaveri temples in, in Karnataka. When you go at every place, you'll see Kaveri temples. In fact, the, the, all the Devis in the temples take the form of Kaveri Amma. So uh, the rivers taking a personification uh, is also belongs to the region where that the, the region that is nourished by that river. And the last one, no, not the last one. The next is the forest and the cave temples. Now it's difficult to believe if you see just these images that these are actually cave temples. The picture on the left is a Varaha, uh, uh, Varaha and Gu Devi uh, sculpture uh, carved on the walls of Udaygiri caves. Uh, near Bhopal in Madhya Pradesh, one of the oldest cave temples uh, that we know of. The picture on the right is Badami Caves in Karnataka, one of the most beautiful cave temples. And probably these two are one of the oldest cave temples. The oldest caves are found near Gaya in uh, Bihar called Barabar Caves. Um, but they are pretty much plain caves. Are, you don't see too much of carving inside them. And uh, it looks like they were pretty much caves to live in or medit meditate in. These are the most profusely uh, carved and most beautifully carved caves, earliest caves. And then, of course, we'll have uh, Ajantas and Eloras coming in. And the cave on the left is uh, um, uh, a cave in um, near Tiger Temple in Mahabalipuram. And I picked up this picture to show you how they would have carved on stone. So the, a stone is lying naturally somewhere and they just carve the cave out of it. They just carve the sculpture out of it. The picture on the right is, uh, is from Indonesia, Bali. It's called Goa Gajah. So this is profusely carved on the outside, but inside it's absolutely empty. And it's at one end you have a, a Ganesh Murti and on the, on the right side you have a Shivaling. So you go inside and you pray to Ganesh and Shiva and outside this is how the cave is carved. Then we have forest temples. I visited a lot of forests in this country and I have always found temples deep inside the forest, deep inside forests, areas which are uh, today called core zones and you're not even allowed there. I found temples there. And the typical names that these temples carry are called Banakhandi, Banashankari, Vanadurga, uh, Vanadevi, and typically Shiva and Shakti temples are found. 
uh, th these are two temples from uh, Bhitar Kanika National Park in Odisha that I've recently visited. So on the left is the Shiva temple, which is um, which is a miniature version of a Kalingan architecture uh, temple, very simplified, very a uh, very small version but it still follows the all the all the tenets of a kalingan architecture the one on the on the right is a devi temple and i could see lot of stones scattered around sculpted stones scattered around but the temple looks very very old and nobody knows i mean if you ask around nobody knows how old it is so these temples are found everywhere i have found them in the remote corners in goa in uh, in the deep in the jungles of central india uh even in our cities which may have been uh, jungles at some point in time for example in in uh, in bangalore you have banishankari so banishankari actually means the shankari in the one so it must have been the area must have been a one at some point in time so these are deities which protected the uh, in the forest um and they are usually very small temples we tend to forget we tend to kind of miss them or not give them importance because they they don't really and these are these were made in a way that they don't really come in the way of the jungle so it is more like just acknowledging the presence of the divine in the jungle then we have temples and instruments which uh, i mean dr ayangar is here and i cannot speak uh, uh, much about it but the temples were also some kind of of astronomical instruments so the temple on the left is uh, shringeri uh, with um, temple at shringeri vidya shankara temple and inside it there are these 12 pillars of 12 zodiac signs so if you enter on your left will be as you enter on your left is a is a pillar which has uh, which is aries pillar and then you move around the temple and you go around and do the parikrama of the mandap and come back to reach the pisces which is the 12th zodiac sign and uh, if i am Uh, if i mean if i am to believe the priest he says that when the sun is passing through a certain zodiac the the first rays of the sun fall on that pillar uh, we see a similar thing in mahalakshmi temple in kolhapur where uh, during three days uh, there is a kirnotsav that is celebrated which is the festival of rays and for three days uh, the sun rays fall on the deity now if you've seen that temple you know that the garbhagrah is deep inside there is no way that the sun rays can reach there you know it's usually very dark and unless you know all the lamps are there it's very difficult to see but the builders of the temple knew precisely that how the sun rays will reach and not just how when they will reach the temple on the right is kopeshwar mahadev temple close uh, very close to kolhapur Uh, this is a temple which um, uh, which has many stories but this is the only temple where we have this open to sky architecture so this is the mandapa outside it's called swarg mandap uh, it's um, open to sky and it's uh, it is so precise that on kartik purnima uh, night the moon comes completely on top of this which means the moon will lit up this mandapa on kartik purnima day i'm yet to figure out the kartik purnima uh, story and the linkage of that story with this place uh, we'll find out some day then uh, like i said every temple has beautiful water bodies the one on the left is abhaneri in rajasthan uh, which is it's i mean it's very well known now because a lot of movies have been shot here and it's one of the most stunningly beautiful step well to uh, to photograph 
but it's actually a temple tank of Harsiddhi Devi Mandir, which is right next to it. Um, so temples were also uh, our water uh, management systems. Every temple has a tank which is far bigger than the temple, at least originally as they were planned. They were far bigger than the temple and they used to manage the water for the, for the region that they, um, that they were serviced by. So if, if a temple belonged to 10 villages, then the temple tank typically would have the capacity to serve uh, those 10 villages for a year. This, that's how it used to, uh, I mean, that's how it looks like. Again, I don't have the precise calculations. Temple on the right, the small temples that you see is very interesting. This is the ghats of Tapti in Burhanpur. Uh, uh, Tapti is one of the oldest rivers in, 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 in the country. She's called Surya Putri and she predates Ganga. And uh, so these temples on the ghats, uh, they're all Shiva temples, small Shiva temples, and they are on different levels if you see. Now they're really the water markers. You know, so if, if, a, if the red one you see on the left, if the water of Tapti in Burhanpur reaches that level, that is an indicator of floods in Surat, which is a few hundred kilometers away. So in good old days, if the water was approaching this temple, they would send a messenger saying that expect floods and, you know, do your disaster management. So temples were not just temples, the temples were also are uh, instruments for all kinds of resource management and disaster management. So what, when you look at water management, that's nothing but managing your resources to ensure good quality of life. And uh, if you look at the temples on the right, it was to ensure uh, any kind of disaster management. And I mentioned a lot of these tales in my upcoming book, hopefully should be there with you. Uh, then we have recreated temples. So all the big temples, they tend to be recreated. So if I have faith in some temple, I would, it's like today when we visit a temple that we have, we believe in, we go there and we pick up a small murti of that, of the deity and bring it home and keep it in our, keep it in our home temples and worship it as a representative image of that deity in our personal space. But when the royals did it, they built huge temples around it. So the temple on the left that you see is Kalika Mata Temple in Patiala in Punjab. And this was brought by the king uh, from uh, Calcutta as he believed in it. And he believed that uh, till the time Kalika Devi is in Patiala, Patiala will be prosperous. Temple on the left has been built by a saint. It's a South Indian style temple, but it's there in Vrindavan, uh, Aranganathji Temple. And uh, so it, uh, uh, you know, these are temples that have been recreated. So if I'm a South Indian and I want to build a temple in the South Indian style in Vrindavan, I will do it. I have found a similar temples in Pushkar and in a lot of other places. Temple on the left, not a temple, but a huge murti of Uma Devi. This is from Thailand. It's in the right bank in the middle of a business district called Racha Prasong. Uh, which has many Hindu temples. Uh, I have a detailed post on all of them. But these are temples which have been recreated in places where they may not have originally existed. The temple on the right is the Saraswati temple in Bali, one of the most beautiful Saraswati temples I have seen made in the shape of a lotus. Then we have Yatra temples. I'll quickly 
go through this so these are temples on a uh, on a yatra path or a pilgrimage path called panchkroshi yatra which goes around the kashi khand now kashi khand is the bigger bigger area surrounding the city of varanasi which is all the sacred space in that area and there is a panchkroshi yatra uh, about 75 80 km long yatra and you have different places that you stop at so the temple on the left is a temple that commemorates the uh, doing of this yatra by ram lakshman bharat and shatrughan so the four brothers did this yatra and there is a temple to commemorate that and temple on the right commemorates the visit of pandavas so you see five pandavas and one draupadi and uh, in a in a very uh, badly maintained temple but it exists it marks the um, uh, visit of pandavas and in fact visit of pandavas can be found across the country from north to south but this is so i just highlighted this to say there are there are temples that mark the visits so just, uh, just like we find today temples marking the visit of uh, adi shankaracharya so a lot of temples would have a marker a memorial uh, a commemorative uh, image of adi, adi shankaracharya or something that reminds us that he visited this temple and hence adding his energy to this temple and making it even more uh, even more important then there are temples which are frozen in time which commemorate some moment uh from our past so the temple on the left is uh, is called pandava dhuta temple in kanchipuram now if you see mahabharat really doesn't go down till tamil nadu but this temple celebrates a particular moment in the history where uh, krishna went as the dhut of pandavas for the last time to hastinapur to uh, make an effort so that the war, war doesn't happen so this temple doesn't celebrate krishna as such the krishna that we know of krishna of vrindavan or krishna of dwarka it celebrates the krishna as the pandava dut as the messenger of the pandavas so temple on the right is dakshishwar maharaj mahadev temple in haridwar you know, in a area called kankhal on the bank right on the banks of ganga ganga is like 10 meters from this temple uh this commemorates the daksha yagya in which sati gave up her life and which is also the beginning of most of our puranic stories so if you read lot of our puranic stories actually trace back to the sati shiv or the shiv parvati stories and this is the temple which says i mean it says that this is where it happened on the banks of ganga this is the temple in fact inside the temple there is a yagna kund which is the main uh, place there is a there is a shivling of course but the most important uh, place to be worshiped in this temple is the yagna kund where sati gave up her life and there are a lot of shakti temples surrounding this temple uh, temple on the left is a thakur ji temple uh, it is the temple where it is said that krishna stood when he was holding the govardhan parvat on his uh, on his little finger this is where he stood so this is very close to where govardhan parvat is and it is again surrounded by the temple and it comes on the parikrama path uh, when you go around uh, govardhan parvat but this is this is a very small temple uh, probably uh, rebuilt by a, 
a local jat king or a local rajasthan king uh, maybe 100 years ago or something uh, but this commemorates the moment when Krish where krishna stood when he was holding that up the temple on the right is kanak bhavan in ayodhya it celebrates the wedding of it celebrates sita's coming to ayodhya this is a temple which it is believed ekai uh, which was given to her by ekai uh, as mu dikhai or as as a suppose this has uh, the interesting part of this temple is that there is a plaque inside the temple which traces the right from the days of krishna uh, which is dwapar yug to uh, about 200 300 years ago when it was last renovated by the queen of orcha um, and that whole uh, uh, whole account of uh, renovation of this temple also tells you that this has been a living temple and it probably lived uh, in the time it of course not in the shape and uh, form that we see today but this place had the energy of sita uh, as she entered her marital home then we have lot of temples as ashrams lot of the ashrams of the rishis have uh, converted into temple spaces and sacred spaces the temple on the left we see is an amritsar it's called ramtirth and uh, people believe this is the this is the valmiki ashram and this is where lavkush were born and this is where they were raised and this is the valmiki ashram now i know that there are many places that have made the same claim of being a valmiki ashram but a lot of people say well uh, lahore is named after love and he was probably born here and lahore as we know is hardly 20 25 kilometers from amritsar but honestly it doesn't matter what it is but there is a ashram which lives on there the tem uh, temple on the, uh, the ashram on the right is uh, baba neem karoli's uh, uh, ashram in kanchi dham uh, which is uh, which is what we have seen uh, coming in probably our lifetimes or just before our lifetimes and we've seen the kind of uh, uh, kind of uh, following he had built across the world and the kind of uh, the kind of uh, community that that he has built around the hanuman temple so this is the hanuman temple the one on the left is a temple in hawaii uh, it's an ashram uh, it's the ashram temple uh, the whole story you can read on our instagram page on the right is oroville so i have picked up different types of ashrams ashrams which are ancient uh, which i mentioned in our scriptures ashrams that have come up in our lifetimes in india ashrams which have come up in different uh, parts of the world and then there are different uh, world communes that have their ashrams and finally i would say that every temple is unique uh, a lot of the categorizations that i have given may have overlaps uh, a lot of temples may belong to more than one category and there may be many more categories that i'm yet to discover or maybe you know of uh, but every temple is unique every temple has a story a uh, lot of times we are so focused on the big temples that we forget that the most important temple is probably the temple in our neighborhood probably the temple in our homes the probably the temple the kshetra devta of the of the kshetra that we live in um the the, the region that we live in and our kul devtas uh, so uh, we have uh, recently published these two books uh, same book in english and hindi called uh, unusual temples of india they are available on amazon and they have 
stories of very very unusual temples that we see in india like chausati yogini temples or the image that you see on the hindi book which is a very uh, unique image of rudra shiva uh, a composite art kind of a thing where a body is made of different animals uh, or uh, different deities deities which are very different than i mean we usually think of deities as as you know shiva vishnu shakti or their avatars or their families but there are very very different deities uh, that are worshiped in these temples and um, absolutely unique and how the how the how some of the myths are also built you know so a lot of those stories are covered in these uh, books so please do check them out on amazon and uh, and read them and give us your feedback and we'll keep bringing you more books like this over to you and any questions if i can take so first of all thank you for a really wonderful presentation and a very well classified presentation that was really nice uh, so one part of the classification that i would have liked to see especially since you mentioned these forest temples mm -hmm. is what are tribal communities right. uh, the kinds of temples that our tribal communities worship that might be something to explore further and that might be really uh, throw up some interesting right uh, so the question is you have visited most or all of these temples that you yes, described all of them and uh, what do you feel is the current state of affairs you know how is the management going how is the management of the temple going how is it being preserved you know in a structural sense i mean can you tell us something about these so you know to ask me about i shared about 100 odd temples today about 80 odd temples so they all are in different states so some of them are owned by asi so uh, they are uh, so they are completely within the realms of asi and there's nothing much we can do we can only ask asi to do something the ones which are under a different managements again it depends temple to temple but uh, i would say the bigger temples get taken care of because they are in the public eye it is the smaller temples the temples which uh, which have no patronage they need to be preserved then they need a lot of attention and we don't really need to go anywhere else if you can ensure that you know temples within 5 km radius of your home are taken care of we are done i'm glad to hear your presentation and uh, one of the most intriguing presentations i ever had and uh, the most interesting part my son was very intrigued to see all these temple pictures you actually showed so anuradha ji my question goes up to two comments one is the temples in ranakpur and dilwara the chan temples they are based you know 15th century 17th century so which category they do they fall in so um, they are all community temples so i would have so i did not uh, touch the jain temples today i did not touch uh, like you said tribal temples today so uh, they are typically jain temples and they are community temples they belong to the jains but they belong to the jain community very clearly now i think ranakpur i visited so you are allowed everybody is allowed to visit jains really do not have a, a restriction on a, of any kind you can take pictures you can do anything as long as you don't harm them they are they are, they are pretty open people uh, but they would they would be jain community temples it's their first right to worship there i have a question regarding the various temple in the india there are some mathematics running in the temples which i realize Mm -hmm. so i don't know means i missed half of your talk mm -hmm. so there is a number temple chausat yogini temple in the madhya pradesh 
Yes. So, do you like to comment something on that? Why it is Chausat Yogini? Okay. So, I have not visited the uh, the MP one, but I visited the Hirapur one in uh, uh, in Odisha, and that is what is there on the cover of my uh, my book on unusual temples. So, Chausat Yogini is a in in the Shakti uh, tradition. Chausat Yogini is a is a is a sect of devis in itself. so they are always together chonsat or 64 of them so those temples are dedicated to them they are they follow the tantric way of worship so those temples belong to them there there may be i mean there is a view that probably dr anger can add to it but there is a view that they are based, they they could be some kind of an astrological instrument because they are all circular in shape and they all have an open uh open to sky kind of an architecture uh but i'm not aware of that i don't think there has i to the best of my knowledge i don't think any research on that that aspect has been done uh but chonsat yogini as a cult there is a book uh, called yoginis or by dr vidya dahejia she talks in details about these yogini temples uh there's a question from archana ji i don't think she is raising her hand that can we know the century of the oldest cave temple in india i think oldest cave temple is 3rd century bc which i told in barabar caves my question is uh, like there are many temples which are in the boundary of a kingdom like mainly in the capital city due to some war or some political reasons those idols or murtis which were made were not able to be uh, like placed in a very big temple like in hasan there are many temples like lakshmikanta temple or kondaji there is a famous story because mm -hmm. of war they were not able to make uh the temple for the whole uh, whole idol it is a very big idol so what uh, so what do you think that where does this these type of temples come in, uh, came into this uh, like category i i think they are uh, incomplete temples are a category in themselves you know temples which were started but never finished again i think dr vidya dehejia has a book on that called unfinished uh where she has spoken about the unfinished temples and actually these unfinished temples are a great source of information on how the temples were actually built because then you know that okay they built this first and then the rest of it must have been planned so uh, it's i think they are a category in this in itself you know te temples which were started but were not finished but maybe it's a more than a category it's a task for us to finish them so uh just a little bit of uh, information for you first of all uh the uh, roofless mandapas that you showed us where the moon comes and uh, you know it becomes a full moon on particular days of the years and so on uh i immediately thought of the pantheon in rome where okay. there is actually a gap in the roof which is called mm -hmm. the oculus sorry eye and you know okay. the sun is supposed to shine on all the uh gamutis of all the gods that were kept in these sites okay so th there okay. are some interesting parallels and it might be worth exploring for you and uh, a question is that um, many many a time when you go and build a new temple in a new in a locality for whatever reasons you get an argument that you know mm -hmm. obviously there are so many temples that are crying out for attention and you know these are all ancient temples so on and so forth why do you need another temple Okay, so what is your answer mm -hmm. to that? What is your take on that? Uh, honestly, I feel that we have enough temples uh, in most of the places, unless you have cleared a forest and 
you're building a new uh, city in itself and there also you'll find some uh, one khandi devi or one khandi mahadev temple if if we can uh, see you to i also feel that the ancient temples were very carefully chosen at a particular place they were not built randomly saying that you know i made an apartment complex here now let's put a temple here they were very very wisely chosen uh, energy spots where the energy is high so uh, if you can maintain an old temple it's worth it it's also your lineage you know so we temples are not just structures like dr anger said they are also your lineage so somebody before you who lived there has worshiped there it's it's your inheritance it's your lineage it's it's not your it's our lineage it's our inheritance you know we have to stop looking at you know one of the biggest things that we need to do especially with younger generation is to stop looking at temples as theirs but to start looking at them as ours you know it's my temple built by my ancestors it's my inheritance it's my responsibility to take care of them so anuradha question um, <laughs> all the asi temples especially the so one of the few temples i ever visited uh, 20 years ago 25 i don't know was kandariya mahadev kajuraho i've been back there three four <laughs> times i've just fell in love with that temple yes and it's uh the kandariya mahadev is not operational if i'm not it's not practicing no yeah, no and the one next to it which is a shiva temple there is some <laughs> practice going on the villagers local villagers come and offer uh, pushpams and there is a priest there is there any way to revive all these asi temples or is this under do you know the law uh so i don't know the law but uh, we would need a rahul devan at the head of asi to do it <laughs> that's all i know because it doesn't take too much so kandariya mahadev you have to do a uh, a uh, uh, pran pratishtha so let me tell you an example of that temple it's called uh, tirukiteshwara temple in mannar uh, in sri lanka which is at the other end of ramsetu so at india end of ramsetu we have rameshwaram and the other end of ramsetu at the sri lanka end we there is sri tirukiteshwara temple which was as big a temple as rameshwaram at some point in time built by the same kings uh, patronized by the same kings and as ancient that temple was completely erased by the portuguese completely there was no sign left of that temple about 130 140 years back in 1880s sometime a young man discovered from the poetries uh, of the um, of the you know uh, i i can't pronounce it properly but mm-hmm, there are shaiva poets nailmar nainmars they are called uh, their poetry from their poetry he discovered that there was a temple here there was a huge temple here then he went on a mad hunt and he it, the area has completely become a forest and he he started digging the forest and he found a chola era uh, shivaling a huge shivaling chola era shivaling and then he started uh, collecting funds and he built a small temple one room temple for that then he big temple today that's a big temple uh, that is being built there a huge temple that is being built maybe still not as big as it used to be but fairly big temple and it has been in constant expansion for last 100 110 years it's a great example of something that was completely erased that has been rebuilt 
and rebuilt using whatever has been discovered from the ground so if they can do it and it has been by the way it has been built with a lot of support from indian government so uh, a lot of funds for that have gone asi has gone and actually built a part of it so uh, there's no reason why we can't do it we have to ask for it we have not asked asi i mean we uh, we do activism on so many fronts but we've not asked asi that why is kandar do a pran pratishtha at kandariya mahadev we want to start practicing yeah and we've done a talk by ponni selvanathan ji on how to uh, do the prana pratishtha of damaged shivalingas so it's possible to rejuvenate and make them living temples once again absolutely absolutely so that that is the difference between temples which are teeth stalas and temples which were owned by somebody so a uh, 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 khajurao temples were uh, owned by chandelas so once the chandelas are gone there no there's no real owner for those temples asi is more like a guardian body uh, sitting on them the teeth stalas they are owned by everybody they belong to nobody but everybody so they you we keep contributing to them and we keep we we keep them alive so the question actually is uh, is it what is history tells about such co coexistence i mean was it natural was it unusual or are there many places where you find a lot of you know coexistence of uh, various practices we find coexistence almost everywhere almost everywhere so i showed you the badami caves Uh, the, at the same place, you have a Shaiva cave, you have a Vaishnav cave, you have a Buddhist cave, you have a Jain cave. Uh, uh, especially Jain and Hindu caves, they coexist. On the temples, they coexist almost everywhere, almost everywhere. Uh, Buddhist uh, must have existed, but I don't recall where at one place they are coexisting. Caves, of course, you know, Ajanta Elora caves. You see the Buddhist, Jain, and Hindu caves coexisting. uh so there was coexisting coexistence uh i think pretty much there till about 100 years back when when we were told you are different religions i honestly don't think we were different religions you know jainism and buddhism are just two paths uh, uh within the within the larger uh, bracket of hinduism uh but uh so i don't really see them not coexisting even today you see them coexisting just a quick question uh, many uh, some of the larger temples that you have visited do <laughs> they hold manuscripts and things like that you know since you talked about documentation do they hold manuscripts do they have inscriptions and have these been cataloged in some epigraphica and so on so the larger temples uh, the first the first category of temples they are not there in the temples anymore uh, but they are there in some form in books in libraries and i believe there is a national manuscript mission which is collecting all the manuscripts so but they are there in some form a lot of times in digital form also but the smaller temples uh, and the regional temples for example i was trying to find out a lot of information about uh, kolhapur mahalakshmi temple there is literally none there are references of the temple in lot of uh, scriptures but there are not the mahatma is not there and it's available only in marathi so lot of our a lot of our literature still exists in regional languages which needs to be translated when i was in kanchipuram i don't speak tamil and uh, i literally had zero uh, access to anything because everything is in tamil there's lot of literature but everything is in tamil and not translated 
the same goes for odisha the same goes for things so uh, for the larger temples or the most famous popular temples they have been recorded somewhere but not inside te temple premises not to my knowledge uh, dr ayengar wants to add to it i think yeah uh, i wanted to say the following there is a book by alice bonar mm -hmm. on temples of konark yes there four manuscripts are included she has uh, scanned and added the manuscripts the manuscripts the first one is an engineering manuscript that gives the plan and elevation of the konark temple with the scaling like in a modern civil engineering drawing the second manuscript is about an accountant's statement of because you know it took 12 years to complete the project the last 6 years of the project the account account is maintained it is a, like a field book of an engineer the two others are about the spiritual aspects and some historical aspects and the link between the queen who was from madurai and the king who is in a warison so the social connection between south and the north is also covered to some extent in something like a diary so it is not that such documents did not exist but you know we haven't done the complete work and this one copy of this manuscript alice bonner says it is preserved in the puri temple also whereas when we go and find out the manuscript it is very difficult to get but anyway uh, some information of this kind is available i just wanted to take this opportunity to add one extra point that is about the spiritual aspects now uh, if temples become only a place of exhibition and of tourism uh, well the economy of the region will improve no doubt but uh, the other issues go to the background and that will not sustain in the long run many of the temples fell out as uh, anuradha ji mentioned maybe people were not going and if large number of people go and pray the power also increases there they say so it is a mutual thing it is a feedback system but in the ancient temples what seems to have happened is that the concept of agamas and the prana pratishta was done very seriously so they would bring apart from the ritualistic issues which are said in the sanskrit text a great yogi or a rishi or a muni would come and he could transfer his some amount of the power into the icon that is how these things grew and that is the, what is described in the theory of the temples if you read the agama text it says that it is actually a germ the power is there captured the cosmic power and the germ grows and that germ grows and becomes bigger and bigger for the good of the society and the country this aspect has taken the back seat particularly with asi also that is true because they are only preserving the outer architecture and the building not bothering about the Uh, theoretical aspects and the ideal aspect this is all what i wanted to say thank you what i wanted to uh, what dr ayangar said i wanted to add an example of it when you go to kanchipuram you know you go to kanchi kamakshi or you go to ekambareshwar temple you feel such a surge of energy you just feel it and 
Kanchi temples I mentioned specifically because th those are some of the rare temples that probably had an uninterrupted worship tradition for 2000 years or so. Most other temples had a break in their worshipping traditions and you can feel that un unbroken energy in those temples. But right next door you have Kalashnatha temple and Vaikunth Peramul temple, both of which I showed. Uh, they are managed by ASI. There is a priest. There is a there is a puja morning, evening. All the probably agamas are followed. But there are no devotees, no energy in those temples. They are like dead monuments, although they are living temples. So there is a huge difference between temple between temples which are alive because of the devotion of the devotees visiting them, and temples which are technically alive with ASI. And you can see that stark difference within 500 meters of each other. My question is, uh, there is a perception and and there is a thought that uh, uh, Taj Mahal was once uh, Tejo Mahal or a Shiva temple. Uh, so I want to know your take on that, on this issue. Honestly, I have not studied Taj Mahal as a temple. There is a possibility. Uh, I mean, there are arguments. There is a possibility. There are a lot of monuments, be it churches or mosques or, uh, I mean, Taj Mahal is, a, is also a mosque. I really do. I have not studied that, so I will not say anything about it. It's possible and maybe not. Because if you really look at it, uh, uh, you know, Mumtaz Begum had died in Burhanpur and her body was dragged from there to, uh, there to uh, Agra, not because... Agra was the chosen spot, but because they started building a Taj Mahal there, there is actually a smaller model of the Taj Mahal built there. It's called Black Taj Mahal because it's built in black Taj, uh, sandstone. And there is a space marked on the banks of Tapti River, but because of engineering, it was not possible because of um, whatever, for, for technical reasons, it was not possible to build the building there. So they changed the place to be uh, this. I have a feeling that Shah Jah probably wanted that kind of a thing for himself. Uh, so he changed it. Whether there was a temple or not, it's, a, it's something that the historians can uh, potentially tell.